0: Welcome to the Keon Sports Player Spotlight Series. Tonight, a very special guest, Duke the Dumpster Josie of WWF fame. Sit back, put your feet up, and grab something cold to drink. Up next, Duke the Dumpster Josie. Welcome in. I'm your host today, Vince McKee. Very special guest tonight, Duke the Dumpster Josie. As you guys know, we've had plenty of WWE and WWF superstars on over the years, including some MMA superstars from the UFC world as well. Without any further ado, let's get Duke to the phone now. All right, on the line with us now, uh, Mike Josie. You guys know him from WWF fame as Duke the Dumpster Josie, uh, sir. Thank you for taking the time to speak with us today
1: thank you very much for having me on your show i really appreciate it
0: oh absolutely so i wanted to start off by asking you there's a lot of wrestlers out there who get into the sport bounce around the independence a lot but never really see the big time you know like WWF and back when you had wrestled for them wcw kind of the major leagues as they call them for you how did you land with the WWF? how long had you been wrestling and you know what brought you there
1: I'd been wrestling part time, let's see, it was I think I started in about 85, 86 school and I walked up to Vince McMahon in, in nineteen ninety three SO it was T V executive convention. That was the only way I was I felt like I could get in was to go to the man himself because I didn't know anybody. I didn't have any relatives in the company. So uh I just took it upon myself and put together a promo package and, and went up to him at, a, at that convention, and uh, they called me a week later.
0: Mike, how big were you size-wise when you started with them?
1: Uh, physical size, I was six 6'6", uh, about 35 pounds. It was kind of legit. I was like one of the few guys that had legit stats on TV. <laughs> they <laughs> called everybody else like 7 foot that I was the same height as. <laughs>
0: Um, hey, if you don't mind me asking, did you play football or anything in high school or college, anything like that?
1: I played a little bit of football, and I wrestled some in high school. And then uh, in college, I did not. I just <clears throat> I went to the University of Miami on what's called tuition remission because my mom worked for the university. So as long as I got in, I had it for free. So uh, that's where I was going to college and then wrestling on the side. Any shows I could pick up down there in South Florida anywhere. And uh, that's kind of how it was going. All right.
0: So when you when you landed with the WWF and you began there, who kinda came up with, you know, Duke the Drumster Dose or excuse me, the garbage man gimmick, Duke the Dumpster Drossy. I know you had kinda touched on that a little bit in the in the independence, but I also know how Vince McMahon likes to put a special twist on everything as well.
1: Well for me it was it was there was they didn't they didn't have anything they didn't have to do much. Um I was wrestling as the garbage man Rocco Gibraltar in Florida in those shows I was doing down there. And uh so when they brought me up they kept the gimmick the exact same and they just renamed me Duke the Dumpster Drosy, which is my real last name. So to for alliteration's sake they They put it together with a bunch of D's and uh, so it sounded catchy and then the only other difference was I wore a light shirt over the top of my jumpsuit in the beginning and that was only because my name tag still said Rocco. I had the old gimmick I was wearing in Florida for a while until uh, I made some new gimmicks with uh, the name tag Duke. So really they didn't change anything but the name for the sake of license, owning the licensing on it and stuff.
0: Early into your run... You had a program with Jerry the King Lawler, one of the more, you know, obviously one of the biggest names in wrestling history. You know, if you go back and look at decades plus of of being around, you know, did you learn anything from him? What what was like working with him? Um, You know, was he approachable? Or how'd that come about?
1: He was very approachable. He was a nice guy, and uh, he was fun to work with, very easy to work with. And I learned that less is more. I learned that... You can get a whole lot more out of doing a whole lot less. You don't have to go out there and kill yourself every night just to get a reaction from the crowd. Uh, There's so much to be said for what they call ring psychology. And he was the master, and uh, he had so much heat that every night it was so easy working with him. And he pretty much took all the bumps when I worked with him. So it was really easy. It was simple every night, and I always uh, appreciated that.
0: You know, sometimes when he was cutting promos on you, he had some pretty funny lines. Was it ever hard not to chuckle?
1: Uh, yeah. You know, he's yeah. He was always funny. Uh, he always had one-liners. He was always quick-witted. Um, and uh, it was always fun being involved. You know, any kind of any kind of promo stuff we did with each other or any live stuff. It was always fun.
0: You know, a pretty big transition happened a little bit before you got there. And you know, kind of during your term, and to me that was a transition of going from big guys like a Hulk Hogan and a Macho Man Savage and an Ultimate Warrior to holding the belt. Into I I don't use the term smaller guys, but maybe more um, technically sound, I guess is the best word for it. With guys like Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart, you know, what did you see behind you know behind the scenes or whatever? Like, how was that received? by the fellow wrestlers, you know, were they happy to see a change like that where a guy didn't have to be, you know, all jacked up out of his mind or taking a bunch of different vitamins or whatnot? Was it something like, an, op- you know, a sign of opportunity for you guys?
1: Well, I mean, Vince always loved big guys. You know, he always had he loved having big guys in the top positions, um, but he also respected uh, guys like Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart for their abilities. They were, you know, top of the line wrestlers uh they were great in the ring and on top of that they had massive loyalty to vince at that time when a lot of other guys were leaving you know it was basically sean brett and undertaker were the real true loyal guys that stuck around when everybody else was jumping to wcw so vince appreciated that as well and i think that also helped guys like sean and brett get into major positions
0: You know, I wasn't planning on asking this question, but I'll throw it out there anyways because you kind of talked about guys jumping ship. Um, I got to ask, I mean, was it like a shock at the time? You know, obviously Monday Night Nitro was going to become this thing. I'm sure you guys heard of it at the time. Like, hey, WCW is going to run this program. But for a guy like Lex Luger to to show up on their first episode, was that like a kick to the morale for you guys or did did you not even really care about it?
1: I don't want to say it was a kick to the morale because we – you know, Luger wasn't for us, Luger wasn't a box office guy, believe it or not. I mean Lex is a great guy and he's a great attraction. and uh, you know, when pushed correctly, he can draw money if he's used correctly. but in that in the scheme of things there at that time, he was not being used co- well correctly and you know you got to kind of work around his his weaknesses anyway, with that being said, By the time he left, Vince Woodler really wasn't using him that much. You know, he was a mid-card guy. And, uh, you know, they had the Lex Express thing, which failed because they just kind of ended it. And so when he did it, it wasn't like a major blow to us, but it was a major shock. We were like, wow, we can believe because, you know, it was a very well-kept secret. He did not let on at all because we were all, like, working on the road with him right before it happened, and you uh, would have never known. I don't think he told a soul, and uh, he just took off, and that was it. But, I mean, I can't say I blame him. You know, Vince, they, they, they he went from main event at WrestleMania 10 to opening match at WrestleMania 11. You know, so right. it, it just tells you that he dropped, his stock dropped like a ton over just the course of one year. And he was frustrated, and it's understandable. So, uh, I mean, I can't blame him. He was in the perfect position because his contract was up. So, you know, he made the, he made a good move, I, although it would said that he went, didn't make a whole ton of money at WCW, but he was just, I'm sure it was more than he was making with Vince at the time. But uh yeah, you know he it wasn't it wasn't like a killer shot to our morale, but it was definitely a shock that's for sure
0: yeah, I appreciate you asking that or answering that question. I wasn't even planning on asking that. It just kind of jumps you know <laughs> kind of jumped in my head as because he really was he was one of the bigger guys in, in uh WWF at that time, and all of a sudden he wasn't and then he was gone, so he was just one of those weird things for sure. but for you personally, you know in, in I remember watching this, you know i'm thirty nine years old. So I watched all this as a young man, as a kid, and to my teenage years. I remember everything so clearly. And I remember, like, one of your biggest feuds was right around the turn of 1996, kind of the end of 95 into 96, with Triple H. You guys had the, the match at in your house. You had a match at the Rumble. You got to go out 30th because you won. Did you know at that time, like, was there any ink leak in your brain at all that would have told you this guy's going to go on to become one of the biggest attractions there is He's going to end up marrying the boss's daughter. I mean, obviously, I'm sure you didn't know that, but clearly, like, I mean, was there anything about, like, Paul Levesque, Triple H, that just jumped out to you, like, hey, I think this guy's going to be something one day?
1: Uh, At the time, not necessarily as uh, an attraction in the ring or what he was doing, but with that being said, I will also say this. Paul was always very dedicated and loved the wrestling business. Paul was also always willing to learn and do things, uh, you know, and try new things. Um, Paul did not do drugs or drink alcohol. He was dedicated to the, to the business. Uh, Now, as far as marrying Vince's daughter, nobody could have known that. I mean, when I was there, but (laughs) um, you know, his dedication to the business Definitely pointed towards him being a lifer, being in the business for a long time. He took it to the max and uh, made the most out of it. And uh, he's doing great. And uh, more power to him. That's great. That's good for him.
0: You know, an- another question on that night. And, uh, you know, it's funny because a few of these I didn't even have written down. But thinking of them as we go here, just kind of ad in. You know, to me it's also funny because if you look in the history of the Royal Rumbles, you know a lot of times it's not really actually the best to go out 30th you really want to be out there and, and be in front of the camera in front of the fans as much as you can when that whole concept came up between you and triple h and it said okay obviously you know triple h is going to lose he's going to go out first and we're going to have you know duke go out 30th you know obviously you always want to get a win on pay-per-view i understand that part of it but was there any part of you that said hey i'm kind of bummed out i'd rather be out there a little bit more in front of the fans or did it not even really matter
1: uh, at that point, I was just happy to be in a feud, and uh, I was looking forward to the singles match at the <clears throat> at the In Your House pay per view um, later on. You know that we did because, you know, it came up at the time of a uh, when my initial contract ended, and I was really frustrated. They were killing me, and I was just tired of it, and I was ready to quit. And uh, you know, it's kind of a the dangling the carrot in front of my face to get me to re-sign for the one-year rollover, they <clears throat> they gave me the deal with Triple H. And, uh, you know, I knew I wasn't going to win because he was in the clique, first of all, but I, I, at least it was going to give me an opportunity to get some... Uh, it was my one and only singles match on pay-per-view, if you think about it, ever. And the mm-hmm. WWF was that match with Triple H. I never had another singles match on any pay-per-view. So, um I was hoping that would have led into more matches on pay-per-views, you know, singles matches, not just Royal Rumbles. And uh, of course, it didn't. Afterwards, I just kind of went back to doing what I was doing before, and they were killing me off again. And I got just got really frustrated, and uh, we ended up parting ways.
0: Let me ask you this here, and I, I, I'm going to read this question exactly as as I have it written down. Um, and you and you could take it any way you want. It's it's completely up to you. Here's the, here's the question. People glorify and also badmouth the click from that time period to the point where literally just last week on the WWE network, they had another, yet another special on the click. They've had a ton already. Do you have memories of dealing with them backstage that caused aggravation for you?
1: When I was there, I was aggravated with them at times because as a group, they were very uh, cocky. And they had a lot of power. There's no doubt about that. Um, and a lot of guys resented that. So I was one of the bitter guys for a long, for a while. But honestly, for the most part, I got along with all of them. You know, I mean, I didn't ever, ever have any major heat with them. Um, I always say Sean was a dick, but everybody says Sean was a dick because he was. But even he says that. But I tried to get along with everybody. However. The part about being bitter over them when I was there, as I looked back later in life, I realized, you know, I could have done things about it. There's ways to get yourself over in the wrestling business, you know, that they couldn't have stopped me. Vince couldn't have stopped me. You know, any basically any opportunity where they put you out there in front of a live crowd on live TV It's an opportunity for you to get over. As long as you don't do anything stupid, you can always get yourself over. And the case in point is, uh, is, um, uh, Brian, uh, what's his name? I can't remember his name now. The short kid with the beard.
0: Uh, Brian Pullman. Oh, Daniel, Daniel Bryan, Daniel Bryan,
1: Daniel Bryan, Daniel Bryan. Golly. It's been, you can tell it's been a while since I've watched wrestling, but, um, (laughs) He's case, perfect case, uh, perfect point because you know there's been times where they've killed him off and killed him off. I mean, they're not doing much with him now, but he still, every time he goes out there, he gets over because there's a way to do. There's ways to do it. You just have to know what you're doing. So, if, you know, hindsight being 2020, if I would have approached it differently back then, I could have got over it and. It, wouldn't have mattered what the click did. Vince would have ended up having me work with click guys and and, and other top guys because he wouldn't have had a choice. I mean, look what the rock did. He came from obscurity to becoming the rock when they turned him heel because they let him start to become creative and and use his, his own attitude. And, um, you know, that's just kind of how it works. So, you know, I was bitter at the time, but it was kind of immature because I could have done something about it.
0: Was there any storylines that you pitched to, you know, the WWF management, Vince, whomever, that they shot down? I mean, I know they always say the door's always open, come pitch your idea. I mean, what was probably maybe one or, one or two ideas or things you really wanted to do that you never got the chance when you worked there?
1: Well, there's one. I, I always begged Vince to let me work a program with Henry Godwin when he was a heel hog farmer, but he would just never let me do it. We just never, it never happened. I guess he always had other plans for him. Now, another one is interesting because I've talked about this a little bit, but at one point I was riding with Steve Austin and he, he states he doesn't remember this happening and that's okay. But me and him went into Vince's office at of TV and pitched him an idea where we were going to do a gimmick where it was kind of kind of be almost like skinhead, kind of a skinhead kind of gimmick. It's not like racist or anything, just, you know, a group of guys with shaved heads and Steve would be the freaking mastermind and I would be one of his henchmen. And uh, we would just beat up other groups of people and they would just happen to be like a group of African-Americans, a group of Hispanic people, a group of this group, that group, whatever groups you had. And basically, I was pitching him an idea of, like, having factions, and he shot it down. But then, of course, everybody knows what happened later on in the Attitude Era. They had, you know, all kinds of stuff, Nation of domination, degenerate. I actually used the term a Generation X-type gimmick when I pitched it to him. And uh, anyway, they ended up having a Degeneration X, uh, a nation of domination, and the Boric was and the... DOA and and all this stuff. And uh, when I saw that happen, I just kind of laughed. I realized, well, at least I know I had some good ideas.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's unbelievable what they did and then with uh, Disciples of Apocalypse and the Nation of Domination. I mean, that was like right after you left. So. Yeah,
1: I'm certainly not saying I came up with all of that or came up with the attitude there because that's ridiculous. But I'm telling you what we went in there, and I, I pitched to Vince because me and Steve used to ride up and down the, the roads listening to um, rage against the machine and coming up with some of the craziest ideas we could think of and that was one of them and we actually went and pitched it to the so
0: big time stuff going on towards the end of your reign there with you know the WWF eventually going to make a transition into the attitude area as, as you talked about but at the same time you know again and again for me as a lifetime wrestling fan this, this is one of the first times I had taken uh, WCW, Half what seriously, right? So you know, the next thing you know, you're in this company that's in this big Monday Night Wars. Did you personally? Cause obviously, you're working 300 plus days a year. You're busy as hell. I get all that. But did I mean, did you personally ever once even pay attention to what the other company was doing, or is it just you don't even have the time to even think about those types of things?
1: All wrestlers watched all wrestling. You know, we 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 were all marks for the business. We were all fans of rest. We we used to love watching to see what other people were doing, whatever the company was. But the interesting thing about WCW was when, we, when that first started, when, uh, you know, Eric Bischoff got that vice president position or whatever he had, and, you know, Ted Turner really started making a push to compete with Vince. And they started Nitro. Every single Monday when we had a TV taping, Bruce Pritchard would run in the locker room and announce, like the ratings. He would say, "Hey, they we got a this and they got a that." It, you know, we were winning every time, like in the beginning, right? And then all of a sudden, things started changing. <laughs> yeah, and they started beating us and. Uh, Bruce Pritchard quit coming in the locker room. He didn't come in there and tell us anything anymore. He was just, they quit doing that because we weren't winning the ratings anymore. But I always found that to be quite comical that in the beginning when we were winning, he came in proudly announcing the numbers, but then yeah. after that, he just quit.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I can't even imagine. Um, thank you again for taking the time to speak with us today, our fans here at Keon Sports Media Group. Clearly appreciate it. We have two more questions for you here. Um, this, this one, you know, cause I was doing my research on you, you know, cause you, you learn stuff as a fan and then you go back and digging into it as an analyst as I am today and, you know, a writer and a podcaster and all that good stuff, but you learn stuff. One of the things I learned about you and I was kind of shocked because Bret Hart was my favorite wrestler, still is to this day. I, I just grew up in that generation. I've always loved Bret Hart. And I was, I listened to a shoot interview that you did where you had explained the situation, where you were getting frustrated you were tired of of losing and they had just brought in Steve Austin to be the ringmaster and you know you had to explain this to Bret Hart and Bret Hart kind of told you to hey go stick up for yourself you know don't do the job were you surprised by that situation you know do you looking back at it now do you regret taking that advice or is it just something that like if people hear that story you think they're gonna be surprised by it because you know Bret Hart up until the end there was the kind of guy you thought would always do a job and obviously he didn't and Lord knows that story's been talked to death with the Montreal Screwjob, but at that time, as a locker room leader, were you kind of shocked by that?
1: No, I was just searching for good advice. I was searching for something different. I was, I was just tired of it. And, uh, you know, he seemed, you know, he, he, gave, he was giving me what seemed to be good advice, You know, I thought he was giving me good advice, especially because that time happened to be the same time when my contract was coming up. And that's when I I refused to work with Steve on his first match, which I explained to him why it wasn't him, and we became good friends after that. But I stood up for myself in that situation, and it worked, and they gave me the, the angle with Triple H. So I said, holy crap, there's something to this. You know, I thought... Right was giving me good advice and I would take advice of his later on that wouldn't necessarily be so good. <laughs> um, I think at times he was just winding me up. But um, you know, it is what it is. I was inexperienced and I didn't know any better. I was clueless in a in a lot of ways and you know, it was just that's the way it was. But uh yeah, you know, he 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 did. He told me on a couple of occasions just to refuse to do it or not do the job and that one time it definitely worked, but that's only because my contract was up.
0: You know, years later you'd go, um, you'd come back for a one night only at WrestleMania 17. 68,000 people were in attendance that night. WrestleMania 17 is widely regarded as the greatest WrestleMania of all time. I know for me it's number one without a doubt. You mentioned WrestleMania 11 a little bit earlier. You know, I think that crowd had maybe 8,000 people in it, if that. You mentioned how you only really had one singles match on a pay-per-view. To come back after all those years in a venue that large, what was that experience like? Was it some sort of, you know, you had to be happy in in some way, some sort of gratitude that the fans remembered you, and it was such a special night?
1: You know, it was good in the respect that I got to be out there in front of the people at a WrestleMania, and like you said, arguably the best WrestleMania ever. I was glad to go back and see some old friends uh I, you know i was really in no shape to be wrestling you know seriously Right, which is great for a battle royal because all you can do is walk around and punch each other but um and i was glad about the payoff that was good too but um you know yeah it was it was great and walking out in front of that many people was insane i just because obviously during the new generation era there was no crowds anywhere near that so
0: if you don't mind me asking you, and this is just a personal note because it's something I've always wondered, you know, WrestleManias take four or five hours. It's a long, long show. Nowadays, it's like six or seven. It's insane. What do you do when you're not wrestling? I mean, do you, do you just sit back? Because like we both, like we both said, that was one of the greatest WrestleManias ever. I mean, are you able to sit back and enjoy it on a monitor back there, or in catering, or like, what do you do?
1: Yeah, you sit in the back and watch a lot of the matches. Um, you know, I think. I think TLC was right before the Gimmick Battle Royal. So, you know, the freaking air was ripped out of the building, basically. The people were wore out by that TLC match. But, and I got to watch, like, um, you know, other matches. I got to watch Benoit versus Angle. That was an insanely good match. It's really underrated, I think. That was a great match. And, um, you know, of course, you watch Austin and Rock and the other matches that place but um you know yeah you just sit back there and kind of watch and turn and uh you know we were all back there watching the, on the monitor i think so
0: you know, fun to watch. You know I'm, I'm out of questions here but you, you mentioned somebody just now and i was not planning on asking about this and um you don't really even need to go into too deep a detail but i really feel and then, again, you know, I say this as a wrestling fan and I say this as, as now someone who makes a living writing about it and everything else. I think there's a naivety throughout the world about professional wrestling. I really do. I don't think people understand the sport behind it, the athletic ability, the sacrifice to be away from your family and everything else. Just, there's so much to it that people don't get. When that Chris Benoit thing happened back in 07, um, and all of a sudden wrestling was all over the news. And it was for a very, very horrific negative thing. Do you, is that something you take personal? Like this, you know, do you look at situations like that and you hear all these people spout off all these national media people who don't know jack crap about wrestling? Does it bug you? I mean, like, did that get under your skin at all? That right away everybody wanted to paint wrestling as the bad guy in that situation?
1: Well, they've, they've done that for a long time. And the media's lied about a lot of things, not just wrestling. And we're really coming to see it now, I think, with all the other craziness that's going on in the country and in the world. But, you know, um, yeah, you know, it kind of bothers you a little bit, but you just kind of take it like, you know, every other time. They, they sensationalize all the bad things, and they don't, uh, you know, you don't hear any of the good stuff about wrestling, at least back in those days, but it was what it was. And uh you know, it was a horrible situation. And uh, you know, it was just uh you know, we hate to have the media painting us in the bad light, but they always seem to have done that for sensationalism and to sell, you know, T V time.
0: Yeah, I I just it's completely ridiculous. So honestly I wanted to thank you again though, you know, this is fun for me as I've I've always told people, hey, I'm a fan first. And I think a lot of people who, who do this line of work, you 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 would have had to have been a fan at some point or else you probably wouldn't care, right? So for, for me, a giant fan, I was always a fan of yours, I always thought you deserved more than you got. So very much appreciate this. Before I let you go though, I want other people to know about you. Where can they where can they follow you? What are you doing right now? Like what what, what can you do to support you? I want my fans to become your fans. So, again, how can they follow you? Where can they see you on social media? All that good stuff.
1: A lot of what I'm doing right now, believe it or not, is on Facebook. Um, my, reg- my regular account is just Mike Drosy, and I have a Duke the Dumpster fan page. And I also have a page called Duke the Dumpster's Road to Recovery because I have a podcast called Road to Recovery with Duke the Dumpster and avi klein uh i am working with a network now called the wwab podcast network with avi klein and several other wrestlers that have podcasts with us Uh, there's basically a live podcast on facebook every single night of the week some days twice uh we have other wrestlers such as don morocco ken patera mark henry's joining us now we have um we, we have the Patriot Del uh, Wilkes. We have Bill DeMott, formerly Hugh Morris. We have Ray Lloyd, Glacier. Um, so we got a lot of great talents, and uh, that's what we're doing now. Mine, my podcast is Road to Recovery. It's on Fridays at 6 p.m. Eastern time, and it's on Facebook Live on my page and many, many, many other pages. Uh, it's live streamed at the same time. Uh, and it's going really well, but that's what we're doing now. I'm also on Instagram at uh Duke the Dumpster official, and I'm also on twitter uh at real Drosy.
0: and guys, I gotta tell you, I watched that last night at six p m It was really, really good. He does a tremendous job, so again, sir, we wanted to thank you um It's funny much Navy Klein I've actually reached out to Bill the mott Ray Lloyd and um somebody else I just don't have him in front of me, but actually, a couple of the guys you you mentioned so Obviously, that's a goal of ours—is to try to get as, as many, you know, professional wrestlers on the show as possible. This uh, this next couple of months, there's always a dry spell with, with pro sports. So, and, and again, I'm a huge wrestling fan, so it all makes sense. Again, I just want to thank you and, and wish you the best of luck. If there's anything you ever need from us, please let us know.
1: All right. And once again, thank you very much for having me on your show. I really appreciate it.
0: You're very welcome. Take care. So that was Duke the Dumpster Josie, as you mentioned there. Check him out every Friday on his page there on Facebook. If you need, uh, you know, just, just go check it out. You, you can't be wrong. It, it's, you know, the one thing I've always said about professional wrestlers from that generation, they have nothing to hide. Look look at the WWE Network with how many insider specials they've had over the last couple years. You know, everything's out in the open now. Um, you know, you talked a little bit about the click and different things like that seems like everyone and their brother has a podcast or a shoot interview out there. Um, and these are very intelligent human beings, like like we spoke about at the end of the interview. I think a lot of people put uh, a black eye on wrestling that it doesn't deserve. It, it's an incredible form of entertainment. I classify it as a sport. You know, we here at Key on Sports, we wouldn't cover it if we didn't think it was a sport. So for us, it, it is entertaining, but it's so much more than that. I want to thank Mike Drosy, one more time, Duke the Dumpster Drosy. And we want to wish everybody out there a happy Mother's Day weekend. We'll talk to you soon.